0: If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament. I realize we're kind of at the end of vacation season for a lot of people, maybe... um, Maybe you've already traveled some during the summer. Maybe for some of us, there's still travel left in the fall. So I don't know what your travel experiences have been recently, nor do I know what might be on your travel bucket list. But if at some point, it's if at some point you find yourself in the city of London, England, and you are riding on the subway system, usually referred to as the underground, you may encounter a phrase that strikes your ears as very odd. A phrase you use frequently in the, in the London Underground system. And that phrase is this. Mind the gap. Have you heard that phrase before? Mind the gap. The gap. I realize it, it, it to American ears that sounds like an odd phrase, but here's what here's what the phrase is communicating. In these busy subway stations, the phrase is communicating this idea: as you board the train, make sure you don't get stuck in the gap between the platform and the train car. I mean, these car you know these subways are moving in and out of these stations, and they don't spend a lot of time at the stop. So in the midst of all that chaos and activity, there is, there's a gap between the platform and the car. You, you don't want your shoes stuck in there. You don't, you don't want your heels stuck in there. That, that's just not going to be a good thing. And so the phrase is, mind the gap. I I wanted to kind of bring that to your attention this morning, because it, it, it in essence, brings us back to what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, and let me explain why. Over the last couple of weeks, as we're, we're preparing for the new academic year moving into fall, over the last couple of weeks, we've taken some time to unpack the biblical concept of grace. We've taken some time to look at grace from several different angles. And as we wrap up that series this morning, here's what I think it's important for you to understand. I want to just challenge you to see that there may be a gap in your understanding of God's grace. And and in the simple phrase, my challenge to you this morning is simply, mind the gap. Because even as it's the case that if you're on the London Underground and you're not paying attention, you can get stuck in a dangerous way in that gap between the platform and the car. How much more is it the case? That if there is a gap in your understanding of God's grace, it can lead to all sorts of unhealthy things unfolding in your life. Okay, so what do I mean by that? What what kind of gap am I talking about? Well, let me, let me just kind of take you back to part of what I've been saying over the last couple of weeks. As we've been talking about grace, kind of the working definition that I've used is simply this. Grace is God's goodness in action. Grace is God's goodness in action. And, of course, foundationally, centrally, that grace is rooted in the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you, if you read the New Testament and just pay attention to the occurrences of the language about grace, a repeated phrase, for instance, you'll see in the writings of Paul the Apostle is, is this, the grace of our Lord Jesus or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's coming back to is as he thinks about God's grace, it is foundationally rooted in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how God's goodness comes to us. It comes to us through the work of Christ. But here's here's how we can develop a a gap in our understanding. And here's what I mean by that. I've, I've referenced this before, but I want to come back to it. I think we develop a gap in our understanding of grace when we think something like this. We think about, well, grace... Grace is what gets us in, right? I mean, grace is what brings us into relationship with God. Grace is what provides salvation. Grace is what leads to conversion. So in essence, we kind of think about grace this way. Grace gets us over the line, and then we think, and that means grace gets us into heaven, right? Grace gets us over the line and then grace secures our eternal destiny. And I realize we don't often state it in those terms, but it's been my experience that in in some Christian circles, this is kind of the unstated underlying assumption about grace that is at work. It's simply, you know what? grace gets us over the line. So grace is the message that non-Christians need to hear. And grace gets you over the line in such a way that you can now be assured that your eternal destiny is secure. Now hear me clearly, all of that is true. But then the question is, well, what about here? What what does grace look like here? (laughs) Here? Between that and that. What does is, what is God's grace look like here? And if we're not careful, it's like we... We just lack clarity in understanding God's grace here. And, and it can create what you might think of as a grace gap in our understanding as followers of Jesus. And I, I think... That gap ultimately manifest itself in different ways. For instance, I think in some situations, this kind of gap in understanding of grace kind of goes along with different forms of legalism. We kind of work with the unstated assumption that, okay, God got me across the line. God did this for me. Now in this space, here are all the things that I do for him and And therefore, what happens in this kind of the, in this gap is we often come up with a checklist of here 's what a good Christian looks like. Here are the things good christians don 't do. I still still remember going to a funeral many years ago and and in in the sermon that the pastor, in essence, ticked off all the ways this person had checked the boxes. He celebrated all the things she didn't do in life. And that's great, but that's, I think that's an an inadequate understanding of of grace in this season of life. So that's that's one way that I think this misunderstanding of grace can lead to a, a gap. By contrast, I think for some, here's what happens. Grace means that we need to be able to do whatever we want to do, right? I mean, God has God has forgiven us. We're experiencing his grace and And if anyone disagrees, kind of, you know, kind of takes a different perspective or even kind of wonders why I do the things I do, challenges or offers input that I don't like in any way. I just say, you know what? You're not being gracious. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, coined the phrase, cheap grace. And he said, it's an understanding of grace without discipleship, without the cross, and ultimately without Jesus Christ. And I think, I think that can happen, I kind of, you know, it's like I'm not, quite, I'm not quite sure what grace looks like, and so, well, this, it just must mean that we're just kind of live and let live, that's what grace means now, and anytime somebody messes up, we just, hey, we, we believe in grace, just keep moving on, and that's the end of the story. And I think related to that then, I think for some, grace is then in this gap simply defined as Grace means we have to be nice, right? It's all about being nice. And church is the place where we're supposed to be nice to people. And we learn how to do the church thing. We learn how to, you know, how you're supposed to act in church. And I think over time, sometimes people just lose lose interest because they're tired of acting or they don't get the point. But as a result of simply defining grace as nice, we don't know how to handle conflict or disagreement well. We don't really know how to do life together well. We, we In awkward situations, we just downplay them because we want, don't want to have hard conversations. And, and can I suggest that if you have had some really negative experiences in church, and some of us have, maybe even at times negative experiences here, some really awkward experiences. I'm convinced that sometimes a contributing factor is that in this space, we just don't understand grace. So how are we to understand grace in this season? Let me go back to something that we've, I've said each week, and, and that is I think we need to understand grace in three dimensions. And let me just remind you of those three dimensions. First of all, we talked about the fact that grace is radical, right? Grace gets to... <laughs> grace addresses the core of my deepest need. Grace cuts through to the reality of my brokenness as a sinful human being. But in that radical description of who I am, grace also provides a radical solution through the person and work of Jesus Christ so that my identity is now rooted in him. There's forgiveness, new life, and healing in him. And if you're here this morning, if you're joining us online, I think this this foundationally is the message you need to hear if you have yet to start this journey of following Jesus, Christ has given himself for you so that you can experience the new life and forgiveness that only he offers so grace is radical but not only is it radical it's relational right it's not transactional it's relational grace moves me into a new relationship with God as his child I've been adopted into his family and there's a new reality now at work and I'm I'm part of what he is doing, and in being part of what he is doing, it brings me into relationship with you, with other followers of Jesus, and we're now in this together. So grace is radical, it's relational, and finally, it's restorative. The biblical vision of, of God's grace in action is that it brings about healing. It brings about transformation. It brings about restoration. And I think often the primary reason we get confused about grace in this space is we, we don't fully appreciate this restorative dimension. So what, what I want to do in just a few minutes is take you to, I think, a very significant passage in the New Testament that talks about this dimension of the work of God's grace, and that's found in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Now, as we come to this passage, let me me just give you just a brief background. So this letter is penned by Paul the Apostle. He's writing to, I guess you could say, a young protege, Timothy, who's a ministry leader, and he is equipping this leader uh, through his letter. Remember, many of Paul's letters are addressed to churches, but some are actually addressed to leaders, and this is one of those leaders. He's Paul, Paul is equipping a young minister to lead well. He's already instructed Titus on how to encourage different groups of people in the church. And then, as we continue reading, he says this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope that is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, what I want to do just over the next few moments, I just want to walk you through this this powerful passage. And I I want you to to really come to grips with what Paul is saying about grace. Because this isn't always the way we think about God's grace, but it's it's so clear in this text. So notice how this passage begins. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And what, what does it do? It Teaches us. It teaches us. Now the language used here, I think, communicates more than simply gives us information. That's part of it. Uh, but you can also translate it this way, and I think maybe given contemporary English uses, this, is may, this may actually be a better translation. It trains us, right? The grace of God trains us. And this can even include the idea of it disciplines us, right? It, but it trains us holistically in particular ways. Think about this. My guess is most of us, or many of us, at some point, we've gone to YouTube to figure out how to solve a problem, right? Am I right? What a great gift to humanity, YouTube. I mean, even a, you know, a couple of years ago, I got, I got a, a new weed eater, and I got to that point where I had to figure out how to reload the line, which is just, you know, that's a result of the fall. And <laughs> I didn't go to the owner's manual. I went to YouTube. Because when I went to YouTube, it's not simply I'm hearing information. There's a guy who's actually doing it and showing me how to do it, right? That's training. Now just, just grab hold of this for a moment. We haven't, gotten even, even, we haven't even gotten to the content yet, but hear what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, okay, this season where you can get stuck in the gap, you know how God's grace intends to be at work in your life? How intense is work, the work of his spirit and his grace to be at work in your life? It is, this is to be a season of training. And what that means is grace <laughs> is to lead to growth. If you are a follower of Jesus in This space, his work of grace in your life is intended to bring about your growth. So Paul says, look, God's grace is now at work. It teaches us. Through his spirit, it is intended to train us, to shape us. Right? I mean, God's grace ultimately doesn't simply... Save, it is now shaping us. So if God's grace is teaching and training and shaping, let's just ask a couple of questions, which I think Paul answers. The first question, maybe you could call the what question, right? Okay, If if God is training us, if he's teaching us through his grace, what, what are we learning? What's to be going on? What are the ways in which we are trained? And you read through the passage and Paul answers that question in the next phrase. Notice. How does, what are we learning? How is God's grace changing us? Well, he says, we're being trained to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Notice, first of all, God's grace teaches us to say no. God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Here's here's how I think you can understand uh, those two phrases. The the idea of ungodliness here, I think, is, is referring to attitudes or actions that undermine God's centrality in my life right? That's ungodliness. And then the passions, the worldly passions, are the outgrowth of that. Let let me give you maybe a a different kind of example. So this summer, one of the things that I was reading while I was on sabbatical was a book called Overcoming Apathy. And uh, in the book, the author talked about the reality that You know, apathy can really be a thing in our culture. And then he, he got to the issues that contribute to apathy in our lives, and particularly in our lives as followers of Jesus. And these include things like doubt. Doubt in different forms. It includes grief and kind of the hard experiences of life. It includes just becoming consumed with that which is trivial. It includes feelings of inadequacy and also even a certain fragility and inability to deal with stress well. And he says, in different ways, these factors ultimately can contribute to a loss of understanding the wonder, the reality of who God is and what he's doing. And and as a result, right, these these factors that kind of contribute to... To me, finding myself in a position where God has lost centrality, where the wonder of God is lost, that ungodliness, if you want to call it that, then moves me to a place where unhealthy actions, unhealthy passions become the norm. In this case, things like apathy, listlessness, lacking purpose and direction kind of profound indifference to life not taking initiative in relationships and and just allowing maybe just a layer of apathy just to kind of cover everything that i do and every responsibility i hold interestingly this isn't this really isn't a new issue it kind of some of my reading this summer i discovered a 4th century monk by the name of Evagrius of Pontus, who wrote a lot about unhealthy patterns of thinking. And and he called apathy the most troubling of all thought patterns. And even, even as we kind of think about the way certain factors in our lives can kind of move us away to valuing the centrality of God and and then can lead, therefore, to certain unhealthy passions like apathy and listlessness. And in a similar way, these are, I think, examples of kind of what Paul is getting at, that there are different things in our lives that cause us to lose sight of the wonder of God, and and those ultimately lead to passions, activities, actions that are unhealthy in a variety of ways. We can we can become consumed by situations where our ultimate value is placed on things like status, wealth, reputation, power, and those patterns produce unhealthy desires. That's what Paul is warning us against. And notice then, Paul says, in those situations, if you're a Christian, what God is wanting to do through his grace is to teach you To say no to those things. Now at this point you may say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, George. I thought God's grace was all about forgiveness. Right? I thought God's grace was all about letting things slide because of the wonder of his mercy and grace. But notice what Paul was saying. God's grace teaches, it trains, it disciplines. And even as you read this, um, maybe for some of us, if you're honest with yourself, you've got to acknowledge there's stuff in your life right now. There's stuff in your life right now that through his grace, God is wanting you to learn to say no to. Certain patterns of thinking, certain ways of interacting, the way you value certain things. For instance, maybe I really have settled into this listlessness about life and relationships, and there's just this apathy that hangs over me. Earlier this week, as I was talking with members of our staff about this passage and this statement, one person made an interesting comment. She said, What do you think your older self would say to your present self? thought, oh, that's an interesting question. In other words, imagine yourself 10 years older. I'm 58. So what would 68-year-old George say to 58-year-old George? <laughs> Why are you still eating that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, you know, but it's an interesting question. And, and as you kind of ask yourself those kinds of questions, I think for some of us it draws attention to stuff in our lives that we know shouldn't be there. For some of you right now, you know a particular habit, a particular thought pattern that just doesn't need to be a part of your life. And Paul is saying, God wants to train you to say no to that. And I realize at this point you might say, wait a minute, you know what, George, this sounds just like another version of Christianity, where Christianity is defined by a list of things to do and a list of things not to do, right? Where good Christians are those people who don't do certain things. I've been in those environments before. How is this any different? Well, here's what I want you to notice. God's grace teaches us to say no in order that we can say yes to something else. You see, the no is part of a bigger yes, right? And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Interestingly, one way to think about these three positive terms is to realize that they are describing a life where I am properly oriented. I am rightly oriented to myself, to God and to others, right? Paul uses that phrase self-control and it's related to the idea of wisdom, right? Properly understanding myself and acting accordingly. As I was working on this passage, I I thought about two stressful situations. You remember the COVID lockdown? I know we don't need to go there again, but do you remember some of those experiences? I remember two experiences vividly where I was in public and people melted down. Because of COVID restrictions. And it's like they kind of just lost control of themselves and didn't know how to process the, the weight, the stress, and they just kind of blew it in public. And, and the idea here is, is kind of understanding yourself, who you are, and acting accordingly. And then another term used here is the idea of godly, and I think it communicates in this context being properly related to God, understanding who you are in light of your relationship with him. And then that third term, upright, which entails how we engage and interact with other people justly, fairly. And so what these these terms are saying is this. God... It's wanting to train you to say no to this other stuff so that you can say yes to who he has designed you to be. And this means that ultimately grace is intended to give you your life back. Grace is intended to give you the life you were designed to live. To restore you. And, of course, all of this then leads to the question, okay, well, that's great, but, but how exactly does this happen, right? So how does this happen? Well, I, I think in some sense Paul answers that in the remaining part of the passage. Notice what he says, right? How, okay, Paul, you have said grace trains us. It's going to train me to say no to something, but this isn't kind of a legalistic checklist. This is, this is rather, I need to say no to this so that I can say yes to this amazing vision of the life God has for me. But how's it going to happen? Well, he says, here's how it's going to happen. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Paul says, here's how you kind of go through the training of grace. You wait for the blessed hope. Now, in saying that, I, I think we need to understand there are different kinds of waiting, right? So on the one hand, there's kind of the waiting you do in the doctor's office, Remember the last time you were in the doctor's office? So I was in the doctor's office this week, getting my eyes checked, and you know sometimes people just they just bring stuff to chew up time. Maybe they're, you know they're always the magazines, the old magazines. Maybe they're flipping through them, but they never, you never really, you know, you're just looking at the pictures. You're not that intrigued by the articles. The magazines are always old. Maybe you bring something to read. I'll bring a book. So, the, my doctor's appointments, I started. So, I'm, I'm in the waiting room reading the book, and they take me in, and they do some stuff, and they have me take my contacts out, and it's back to the waiting room to, to wait for the doctor. So, I'm reading again, except this time I went from reading like this to reading like this because I can't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of right above the seeing eye dog stage with my uncorrected vision. So, you know, but here's the deal all of us were sitting in that waiting room. We're just killing time. That's not what this is talking about. Let me tell you a different kind of waiting. One of the privileges I have as a pastor is I often get a front row seat at weddings, right? And one of the things I'll do in officiating a wedding, that moment when the bride starts to come down the aisle and everybody turns and looks toward her, I like to look at the groom. I like to see his face light up in anticipation. One of the greatest joys I've ever had as a dad was watching my son as the groom and looking at him as his bride-to-be came down the aisle. And you know what I see in a groom's face in a moment like that? I see anticipation and I see alignment, just the excitement of we're now at this point where we're bringing our lives together. I think that's the kind of waiting Paul is describing here, right? It's, it's, what he is saying is, look, here's what the grace of God can do. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to get caught in the gap. The grace of God teaches you to say no so that you can say yes to this amazing reality. But what you need to do is you need to, therefore, you need to wait. And by wait, I mean you need to align yourself with the reality of what God is doing. And notice the amazing vision that Paul gives us of what God is doing, right? You are to wait for the blessed hope. One day, God's plan will be complete. So we we can't pretend that it's always going to be perfect now. We're always going to get it right. No, we are waiting. We are lining for that ultimate reality when God comes. But even now, we need to remember the one who is coming is who? He's Jesus Christ who gave himself to redeem us. Translate it this way, to liberate us and to cleanse us. And to equip us for doing good works. That's what the grace of God is doing now. So the idea of waiting here is to take steps to align my life with this grand vision of what God is doing. To take steps to really kind of open my life to God's transforming work of grace. Grace. Now, having kind of said that in kind of big terms, let me tell you what this is going to look like in the course of our church over the next year. Our theme for this next season is deeper and wider. And over this year, we've already started this, but over this year, we, we want to be intentional in helping you take steps in growing deeper in your relationship with God and wider in your impact in the lives of others. And, and what this really, this is all about, what is it? it's, it's all about aligning our lives with this grand vision of what God is doing and just making space for, for his grace to be at work and, and here, a couple of tangible things that we are going to do. here ways we're going to really seek to help you take next steps. First, throughout the year, we're going to be highlighting different spiritual practices, different spiritual rhythms. Over the summer, we've been talking about the rhythm of rest. And in the lobby, you'll note on the feature wall, we're, we're making cards available that have kind of uh, guidance on how to, how to put these spiritual rhythms into practice. And we're putting these on our website. You'll find a spiritual rhythms tab on our website, just encouraging you to explore these spiritual practices that really allow you to embrace God's grace. Now, as you do that over the year, I I want you to be attuned to the fact that I think as we kind of make room for God to be at work, at times he's he's really going to bring to our minds things that we need to say no to. And don't shy away from that. Because remember, he's training us, and at times that includes discipline. Even this summer, I would tell you one of the takeaways from my sabbatical, kind of just having some time to reflect and, and unwind, was just a challenge that sometimes I, I get hung up about the little stuff of life. And I can allow myself to be consumed intellectually and emotionally by things that really don't matter. I don't to say no to that. But of course, as that happens, as you kind of kind of as you kind of put these rhythms into practice, as you kind of try them out, and perhaps at times God really convicts you and confronts you. Remember this, it's not about a checklist. It's about embracing God's grace. It's about saying no so you can experience that bigger yes. So we're going to be talking about those throughout the year, and I just want to encourage you to, I'm asking you, to try these rhythms out. Likewise, even as we're encouraging you to go deeper, we're going to encourage you to go wider. Where is God giving you opportunity to live out the gospel in your sphere of influence? To help you out throughout the year, we're going to have various events that that are going to be great opportunities to invite others to participate. And my challenge to you is to invite one person to one event this year go deeper in exploring these rhythms and to go wider in your interactions with other people. So as we go into this year, over the next month, we're going to talk specifically about deeper and wider. And here's where we're actually going to start next week, because I realize if you're a parent, one of the one of the ways you wrestle with okay, you're, you're inviting us to live in God's grace, but how do I do that with my family? And what does that look like with my kids? And I don't know how to, I don't know how to engage those responsibilities. And if if that's where you're at, we're going to spend next Sunday morning just talking about how we as a church want to partner with you in this journey of parenting. What are the what are the stages that your kids are going through and what does it look like for you to handle those different stages well? And how do you how do you need to adjust through the different stages and what is what's our role as a church community to partner with you? You'll notice these pillars on the platform and I'll explain next week what they represent, but these Pillars can actually help uh, become a guide for you in understanding how to do this well. Now, I realize some of us are going to be traveling next week, so particularly next week, I want to ask you, if you're not with us, to catch the Sunday service online at some point. And I also realize some of you were like, I'm, I don't have kids, or I don't have kids at home, but I want to encourage you to be a part of this Sunday because you can see, here's what our church community is doing in, in seeking to to encourage the the faith to further generations and how can I pray? How can I be a part of this? So my challenge to you this morning, again, is this. Mind the gap. Understand that this grace that brings you into a radical new relationship is also restorative. And that reality invites us, therefore, to to align our lives with this vision of what God is doing, to make space for that work of grace, to be open to the ways God is challenging and confronting us, not to meet some kind of checklist, but to embrace his transforming grace. And even as he works in us to be open to the reality that he wants to work through us, he's liberating us, he is purifying us, and he is empowering us to do good works. That's the work of God's grace in this season. (laughs) So with that in mind, join us as we seek to go deeper and wider this year. Let's pray together. Father, I acknowledge that sometimes there are all kinds of confusing themes associated with God's grace. And I do think at times we wrestle with, okay, what does grace look like now, now that I've become a follower? But in the midst of that, I pray that we would just be captured by this vision of what you were doing. Paul just wants to grab us by the throat and say, look, I want you to see what God is ultimately doing. I want you to align yourself to wait for this hope in such a way that there's anticipation and alignment. And Father, I realize even now for some of us, this means that even as we've been interacting this morning, for some of us, we realize there's some junk in our lives that just needs to go. And Father, maybe we, we, we've we gotten stuck in some habits that are hard to break. And it's just easier to go with the flow. But I pray that we would hear that your grace and your spirit want to bring resources into our lives to liberate us from that. Maybe that's through resources in the life of that church, this church. Maybe it's in the context of friendships. Maybe it's just learning to think or act in a different way, but would we be open to the reality that even now your grace wants to train us in that? And I pray, Father, that your spirit would just invite us into the truth that we are to, we are to align our lives to your work in such a way that we're making room for your grace to be at work. So, Father, may we mind the gap and embrace your grace pray this in Jesus' name amen at this time i'm going to invite members of our prayer team to be here and we would value the opportunity to pray with you maybe there is a sense in which it's, i've been talking this morning there's something in your life you realize this this needs to go but i don't know how and if that's the case i want you to understand you, you don't have to do this by yourself As we've already seen, grace brings us not only to a new relationship with God, it brings us into new relationships with others, and we're intended to do this together. And if that's where you're at, we want to be that church family for you. Maybe there are ways in which you just want to see how God's grace can be more at work in your life, and if we can pray with you along those lines, we want to do that. So we're going to be available here at the front as you leave. So now as you go, would you hear this challenge again? Mind the gap and embrace God's grace.